Our scripture for today comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. Here are these words. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be sure of the fact that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all went through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. However, God was unhappy with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. These things happened to them as an example and were written as a warning for us to whom the end of time has come. So those who think they are standing need to watch out or else they may fall. No temptation has seized you that isn't common for people, but God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will also supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Like many of you, but not all of you, I did not grow up with, with cell phones or with GPS. I got my first phone when I was a freshman in college, so I missed the high school texting experience. Um, I don't think I missed out on much with that. But one of the things about phones that is, is really hard to imagine, I mean, for some of us it isn't, but thinking about the time when you had to ask directions, when you met someone and you didn't have an address and you weren't following a map to get there. And the kind of conversations you'd have, like, okay, we're going to meet at the corner of Fifth and in Guadalupe, and it's going to be at 11.55, and I will be wearing a red hat, and, and all these kinds of things to make sure we were going to the right place. Phones are certainly a great convenience. It's great to be able to share my location with another person. I remember having, having a, a conversation with a guy a few weeks ago, and we were at the same establishment but in different buildings and didn't realize it and thought we were waiting. And if it was like before phones, I would have just gone home and be like, oh, I guess no show, it's fine, going on. Um, but then it was like able to text and realize, wait a minute, let's, let's like text our location to each other. And we figured out we were like 100 feet from each other in different buildings um, and able to have the conversation. But it's, it's convenient. It definitely is convenient. But I think one of the things about the GPS or phones and other things like that and those mapping apps is it kind of deceives us into thinking we really know where we are. It seems like it's harder to get lost than ever. But phones and tools can also continue to deceive us, give us false confidence about where we are and where we think we are going. We've been, uh, last week we started our, our series on the rescue and we, we showed this service, we were able to show a clip about um, the trailer for The Rescue. I want to show another clip of this from this movie. That's, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's about the Thai cave disaster in 2018. And this is the clip I'm showing. It's a little, it's about um, a third of the way into the movie. We're on day 10 of the search. And so they haven't found the boys. And they started off, at first was um, a set of Thai Navy SEALs who were, who were looking for them. But this, the cave is really complex. And we have a map that kind of give a little illustration of how big it is. That's six kilometers long that they're searching for. And, and so you don't need to be able to read the tiny font on it. Just realize it is a really long place to go. After the Thai Navy SEALs, who are, are trained in scuba, trained in these kind of rescue things, gave up. They couldn't go any further. They called in um, a group of British cave divers 
who were a bunch of like weekend cave guys who are these like tall, lanky British dudes in their 40s and 50s who come in. Um, and that's who we're following along. So that's where the accents come from when we, when we watch this. And they don't know what they're going to find. And so that's just like, a warning. They, they think for a little bit that the, the boys may not have made it. And so they're concerned about it. So this is where we're going to watch it. On the audio, there's me. He's saying, believe. Try and put emotions in a box. I can visualize a shelf and I put the box on the top shelf and I leave it there and I do what I need to do. As we got to any airspace, I took my mask off and had a sniff. Caves have got a very neutral smell. You'd easily smell people that have been, been in there for 10 days. Defecating, decaying. Rick and I had already discussed that we would lay the thick line as far as we could, and I had a reel of 200 metres of thinner line. We would use this to give us maximum possible reach into the cave. Everyone had held their hopes out that the children were at this place called Pattaya Beach. We did know from the survey that, that was the only section of the cave that travelled due east. So when our compasses started to point east, we were at the mythical Pattaya Beach. Everything was underwater. We actually retraced our route there a few times, but there was absolutely nowhere a group of people could have survived. I was getting quite keen to turn round because I was way beyond any sensible air margin. Rule number one, use a third of your air on the way in, a third on the way out, and you keep a third for spare. But I just had this powerful feeling that, it, just that it, it was time to push. It, it, it was the right time to push. Continue upstream, trying to follow the flow. Instantaneous, a pungent smell. 
silence. We both assumed we were smelling decomposing bodies. There's something unpleasant here. And then suddenly I saw a light flash. John immediately got out of the camera. Yeah, bless you can. saying believe that was me trying to tell me this is real this is actually happening okay okay it worked yay you'll, you'll see the rest of it later okay amelia <laughs> Last week, we talked about what salvation is. That was, that was the heart of the message. And this week, we're looking at where we are. Where we are. And what that is, where we are that we need to be saved from. In this movie, the boys are saved from a cave. And so, like, again, like, this is 40 minutes into the movie, and they finally find them. They find them in the cave. They know where they are. Caves have been a part of the human imagination for thousands of years. If you ever had a chance to see an old cave drawing from like 20,000 or 30,000 years ago, it's pretty amazing. The ones I've, I've seen are in near Del Rio at Seminole Canyon State Park. And you can go out and see these like 25,000-year-old drawings that are just there on the wall. It's, it's really unbelievable. As well as for the, almost the last 3,000 years, uh, Western civilization has been influenced by what's been called the allegory of the cave that some of you may have heard about or, or talked about when you were in school by uh, this, this philosopher named Plato. And he, he writes about, and there's a picture of it, that, that all, of, all of life is like watching shadow puppets on the wall. And so most of us are just watching shadow puppets on the wall, when is what we need to do is actually get out of the cave to see reality. And what reality does for us is help, or what philosophy does for us is helps us to see that what we're watching is like images on a screen, um, which is a great irony of modern civilization is that most of us do watch images on a screen, um, including in church. But that what we need to be is look outside and see what, what has been created and offered to us. Early Christians saw a, a similarity between um, this philosophy and, and the faith, the gospel of John is filled with the language of light and the power of light. And Jesus is the light of the world, the light that we must seek. And even one of the early Christian writers, whose name was Justin Martyr, he wrote that actually Plato and Moses got together at one point and were chatting about philosophy. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know about that, but I thought it was an interesting, <laughs> interesting connection they tried to make. But then in the, in the 17th and 18th century, People had this idea that has been called the Enlightenment, that what really is the church is what was trapping people in the cave and putting shadows on the wall and limiting people. And we need reason to let us out and to be free of those trappings. But in, in whether or not it's, it's the church who sees the, the Christ, the light of salvation that we must be rescued for, or the Enlightenment, these are all kind of salvation stories. You're trying to save people from a li limited life. The Enlightenment tries to save people through to reason. Jesus offers to free us for love and eternal life. 
But when we get back to Paul in the, in the passage I read uh, from 1 Corinthians 10, he is showing the church the scope of God's creation. And I think that's something that we need to hold as well in our minds is that, that what God is offering for us is not just a momentary thing, but an all of history thing. What's called salvation history, the depth of salvation history, the depth of God's relationship to the people called Israel, the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and Paul makes this beautiful illustration that talks about the people of the Exodus going through the waters of the Exodus is like baptism, like offering baptism, like offering Christ throughout history. When they, they go through the waters of the Red Sea, they're free from slavery to sin and death in Egypt and free on the other side. And yet there's a sense for Paul that the people are still in the wilderness. Even after they get to the promised land, even after they, they take over and have the kings and all these things, the people are still in the wilderness. They have yet to reach the true promised land. Other Christians have taken this up. What we see in this life is not our final destination, but a foretaste of what it will be like. We are still pilgrims in this land. We are wayfarers. And when we build in this land, it does not last forever. Ask any engineer. It's not going to last forever. You have a certain amount of time that any building, any creation you make will survive. In some ways, we are still then all in a cave, just a really big cave, a cave the size of the planet, a cave the size of the universe. In, in Star Trek V, if you, any of you remember, it's, it's not a memorable movie, except for they, they try, I think it's called The Final Frontier, the Captain Kirk and the crew try and go to the far outreaches of space, and they end up in heaven. They find heaven, and they have this mystical experience, but this is very anti-biblical, like not that, you, you can't fly to heaven. Heaven is not a place you can fly from, and this is, uh, it's, it's really important because it's not, that God is not just this big thing really far away controlling us or ordering us around. Um, that's, that's images of God that come from the same kind of pagan thought as, as Plato. As God, the gods are up on Mount Olympus looking down on us and judging us, whether we're naughty or nice. No, the God of, of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ is the source in whom we live and move and have our being. And God saw and experienced God's people lost and wandering. God saw that all of the people were lost. God saw that all creation had been broken. All creation was God's gift. And God did not see fit to leave creation broken in that state. And there can be challenges here. There can be challenges in, in understanding and looking back at both all of human history, but also the history of our lives. There are challenges in each of our own lives. And Paul says, God won't allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. Instead, with the temptation, God will also supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. And this is a verse that has often been paraphrased in a very unhelpful way that says, God won't give you more than you can handle. That is not a line that's in the Bible. Um, sometimes it feels like that's an encouraging thing, but that's not, uh, it's, it's not what Paul is talking about here. It's not what God is saying. It's missing the point. God doesn't test you with hardship, God offers us life in the midst of a challenging world and promises we will not be tempted beyond our means, but we will still have to admit where we are. We'll have to admit where we are. So where are we, my brothers and sisters? We are not, thank God, in a cave in Thailand. We are, we are in a lovely church 
on an early morning because of the time change. It's so weird. We have a beautiful view overlooking the lake. The sun is not quite in our eyes. It's, it's crisp in the morning. It's going to be like 80 tomorrow. It's hard to believe. We are, each of us, privileged in our own way to be able to come here on a Sunday morning and listen to a church. Even still, we are trapped in a way, and there's nothing we on our own can do about it. We're trapped in a world that thinks everything is figured out or can be figured out. We're stuck in a world that says might makes right. We are mired in a space where disease and brokenness and death and war and poverty and starvation continue to attack. We're stuck in a world where the rain falls on the just as well as the unjust, and it is not fair. And even if you are a good person or you do a good turn to another person, you may turn around and drive home and be pulled over five minutes later by Lakeway PD going 31 in a 30, and it is not fair. <laughs> the way of the cross is not a wide way. It is not a pyramid scheme that continues to get bigger and bigger where if you get enough people on board, it's all good and you can start profiting from it. The way of the cross is narrow and it has some ups and downs in it. The road is so narrow sometimes that we need to feel like you're walking one by one in a single file line. Even so, we still need to walk together. We need to be together. We have to stay together. There are a number of thing, amazing things that took place in this rescue um, in Thailand. And some of you have said you've already watched the movie, and I, it, that's great. You're not, not going to ruin it. Um, I, I encourage it. I think it's a powerful experience to watch it. But I think one of the most amazing moments was the, the one we saw right here, how all the boys were still together, 10 days in, no food. 10 days in, they managed to stay alive in the dark. And they did that because they stayed together. They did that because they stayed together. Even though they were lost, they stayed together. Friends, in the season of Lent, God is calling you to discern where you are. Where are you? Some traditions of the faith, uh, faith practice visualization and visualizing where you are. I want us to try that just a little bit today. Visualize where you are. Visualize Jesus teaching on the mountaintop in the Sermon on the Mount, and this, this big hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Where are you on that hill? Are you on the bottom of the hill? <laughs> are you fishing, doing something else? Are you climbing up the hill? Are you halfway there? Are you alone? Are you together? Where are you on that hill? Because the most amazing thing is that God has not left us alone. We are not alone. We may not be at our final destination yet, but God has more plans for us. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, God's goal for us is to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful schemes, instead by speaking the truth with love. Let's grow into Christ. As I, as I told the kids earlier, you stop growing physically, you never stop growing spiritually. If you think that you have stopped growing spiritually, you do not know where you are. And knowing where you are 
even if it's hard, even if it's far away from where we'd like to be, should not discourage us. We cannot follow the way of the cross if we don't know from where we are beginning. So I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, to take some time this week to discern where you are in your faith, where you are in your life. What do you believe about God? What are you struggling with? What are you afraid to look at? Hopefully you started this morning, but don't end there. Seek someone with whom you can share this with. Seek seek a friend, a spouse, maybe have a coffee with someone, a phone call, a text message, maybe a golf buddy. Where are you with God? Where do you find yourself? God has already been with you, and God has drawn others to help you. God has drawn people in your life to remind you that you are loved. And God has brought others together for you to help them and show them love. The life of faith is not just about transforming your soul, but how you can now be an instrument of God for others. We are not finished, my brothers and sisters, but we need to know where we are to remember where we are going. Let us pray. Gracious Father, help us to see where we are spiritually and physically. Help us to remember that you will seek us out no matter where we find ourselves. And may we hold close to your promises and mercy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.